0: It's it's either in the Santa Fe Reporter or the Times, the New York Times from this very luxurious chair company called Leishman's. People know Leishman's? Is that a brand? And yes, there's this picture of a woman reclining in this very exuberant chair with a footrest in the middle of a, well here you'll you'll see the picture. She's in the very luxurious chen, if you can see that, is it too small? Um, In the middle of a crowded street (coughs) and she's lying back relaxed and the caption says, this is is supposed to be a plug, the caption says, imagine the sound of your own thoughts. (laughs) As if that's supposed to be a good thing. (laughs) Now after meditating for a morning, (laughs) the sound of your own thoughts is like, why would I want to do that? That sounds like suffering. Well, just get rid of that ad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One less thing to buy. (laughs) And this is uh, another quote. This is a little more serious. This is from Achan Mun, who is one of the great Thai meditation masters who was a teacher to Achan Cha, who was Jack Cornfield's main teacher. And um, he said this about mindfulness of the body. He said, in your investigation of the world, never allow the mind or awareness to leave the body. Examine its nature, see the elements that comprise it, see its changing unsatisfactory, and selfless nature while sitting, walking, standing, or lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. So there are many um, sayings like this from the tradition that's pointing to the, when we bring awareness to the body and we understand the nature. The, the Buddha said, we, every, everything we need to know is in this fathom-long body. When we understand the nature of our body and our mind, we understand the nature of everything because everything is interconnected. and Everything is governed by the same laws, like the laws of changing, changeability, transience, the law of unreliability. Is anything, have you found anything that's reliable in this world yet, that's really reliable? Have you anything, found anything that provides permanent satisfaction? So I'll tell you more about this this afternoon, but I just wanted to read that because it speaks to uh, the, the importance of really learning how to be in our embodied experience as a way to, to, to really understanding the deeper truths of life. So um, prior to that, we first have to learn how to be in our bodies <laughs> and stay present, which is its own form of training and ardor. So I'm curious how that was for you. Any questions, any observations? For some people, the walking meditation is much easier than, the, than the, or more preferred than the sitting because it's actually more to hold the attention in the present, less likely to get drift, pulled away by thought. For some people, it's harder because there's a lot going on. It's stimulating. So comments, observations, how was the walking practice? What did you notice? It was better when you didn't have shoes. It was better when you didn't have shoes. So. Some Just easier to concentrate. Right. So more sensation on the feet. Yeah. <coughs> Do you see a hand? There? Yes.
1: I would be off balance because I noticed my shoulders were kind of getting more relaxed, but then I noticed one side would be falling down more than the other. Hmm. I felt myself kind of becoming unbalanced and, and leaning towards one direction more than the other. Those hmm. are the two that I
0: Interesting. And, w- and so it sounds like the relaxation was unusual and that it threw you off in a certain way. hmm. Yeah. So so sometimes practice just reveals how much tension we carry. And, you know, we walk around like this and then we realize I don't need to be doing that. I can actually walk like this. But that can actually bring its own level of discomfort because I'm familiar. (coughs) So but happy to know that your shoulders are relaxing, and hopefully your body will learn how to correct the imbalance. Good. And as for why you were walking further up the hill, I have no idea. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Don't work too hard. (laughs) Okay.
1: Good. Yeah. I noticed the connection between uh, walking and breathing. Mm -hmm. Um, That I was very aware if I, if, if unconsciously, if I was trying to coordinate my walking and breathing, and then when I tried to disentangle it. I got tangled up. Um, so it was it was that was very interesting.
0: Mhm. So comments about the relationship between the breath and coordinating or not and so did you were you did you find it more useful when the breath was coordinated or when it was Yeah, it felt sort of like a uh, more like a dance. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you can do different things. Wh- whatever works really is my motto so if it helps to use the breath to coordinate the steps with the breath fine if that's confusing it's that because sometimes just being present to your body is plenty and the breath is a whole other thing too confusing so you know and in different times will different things will work more than others so just to notice that and then notice what happens so the one key thing that I haven't said this morning is there's two things really going on with mindfulness practice. One is what's happening. Two is our relationship to it. Are we okay with it? Are we reacting? Are we liking? Are we disliking? Are we thinking something else should be happening? Right. So that's the two primary areas of our experience. Usually we, we often notice sort of what's happening. But we don't often notice the mental overlay or the perceptual process or the bias or the preference that's more back here that's interfering with the experience. So, in this case, you know, sometimes the breath's working with the steps, sometimes it's not, and then it gets convoluted. What's happening when it gets convoluted? Do we get this? Do we get convoluted do we get reactive or do we go oh look at that i'm convoluted or convolutions happening mm-hmm. okay look at that it's a disorienting okay disorienting's happening okay so that's that's a key part in practice you know whether it's the somewhat sound of someone breathing we don't like or someone doing something that's irritating or whatever in our experience what's happening and how am i relating to it? am i bringing a necessary Thoughts, views, judgments, reactions, fears, biases, or am I just greeting it as it is? And of course, greeting it as it is without those biases is much easier said than done because we all have a lot of preferences about how we like ourselves and our experience and each other to be. Right? That's why um, the divorce rate is so high because right? we have ideas about how we want our partner and our relationship to be. Of course, they have their own views. What about that? How dare they about how they want us to be? <laughs> and then we have some interesting dialogue about that. It's a polite way of putting it. <laughs> so, other observations about walking, yes, please.
1: Um, it was a pleasant experience, but it was, and it was taking me away from focusing on myself, but I really became aware of space-time. Um, this one moment I was walking, an ant ran behind me. <laughs> An, under me. an ant? An ant. Uh-huh. And I noticed that not only was he behind me, but that whole moment was now behind me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was in this tiny little slice of time. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. So the observations... I imagine it was hard to hear that at the back, is it? Yeah. So the observation is about time, and that he was noticing that uh, when fully present, it feels like a thin slice of time, and he noticed an ant w- walked, crawled behind him, and that moment was already in the past, and then it was the next moment. And so, one of the things meditation does is it, it 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 opens up our awareness of time, which is a whole body of understanding in itself. And um, you know, we talk a lot about the present moment. We talk about the three times: past, present, and future. From the perspective of awareness. In immediacy, the past no longer exists. The future no longer doesn't exist. All that exists is what's here. The past is a memory that happens in the present moment. The future is an idea that happens in the present moment. So actually all there is is this, and this, and this. And you could say all three times are actually always present right here. This is confusing, don't worry, let it go. Um, But what's important in that is to to see, is, is learning how to inhabit the precipice of this moment, which is always right here. Everything happens right here. Even our thinking about the past and future happens right here. So in some ways we never leave the present moment, but it seems like our mind often does. Our attention goes to a thought about and time other than what's here. So, good inquiry to, to see, to break down these. We have this very rigid, you know, in the, in the Hopi tradition, the, fut- the past is ahead of them, and the future is behind them. That's not how we think about it. We think the future is ahead of us, right? These are just conceptual overlays on an experience that's actually much more mysterious than that. So, good. Yeah. <coughs> hmm <coughs> But I found when I finally, finally gave all of my attention I, I didn't mm. Okay, that's good to know. So she noticed that when she when she walked slowly she lost her balance, but when she really was present while walking slowly she didn't lose her balance. So and you know, walking slowly with this kind of attention it it is a little unusual so it it is easier to lose our balance. And generally we say if it's if you're walking that slowly, speed up a little so it's more comfortable and more easier to maintain the 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 balance and attention but it's also interesting to see if you the more present you were the more balance you had so often we're just you know upstairs here in the coconut and walking's happening and we're not really that embodied so we don't you know we lose our balance pretty easily yes please Mhm. Yeah. So the comments about <coughs> really the, the the imaginative associative mind that the, and the you know our brain is always interpreting our experience and trying to f- understand it, frame it, create meaning, and one of the ways we do that is through image and metaphor and th- you know then it's a completely useful valid thing to do and in terms of the practice both to be aware of that aware of the physical experience and sometimes that's helpful sometimes not so helpful and just like okay so so now I'm a mule okay <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's, it's to be included the danger is we go wow when I was back in Peru they had these mules they kind of walk like this and I, I wonder what's up with their hips the way they you know and then we get lost in Peru and our next vacation and animal rights and you know and <laughs> liberating all mules everywhere and And then you know the bell rings and we were, in la la land. So, so yeah. So it's I mean so again not to make an enemy of the mind. It's 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 a a lovely, beautiful, amazing, mysterious, creative process. And we're learning how to have choice. Mostly we're lost, and we're learning how to, not be so lost in it. (coughs) Other comments? Yes, at the back. uh uh-huh. Yeah, you felt more energized. What do you think accounted for the being more energized? Um, I felt more spacious and I felt like I actually could concentrate more. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, great. So the comments about being more spacious and energized, being outside. So there's a few things going on. One, we're outside. So, I mean, I love to practice outside. I teach a lot of my retreats outside. I just came from a wilderness (laughs) retreat in New Mexico where we sat all day sitting and walking outside. And there's something about nature for many, if not most of us, supports a, a natural presence. And we relax. We get a little less caught up in our mind outside. It's energizing. There's more energy. There's more chi. Um... And also, for some people, the walking is just easy to connect with. And when we connect, energy follows attention. And so, if, we, if, if it's easy to, for the attention to really stay rooted in the, in the activity, then it builds energy. If we're always spacing out, that's when we tend to fall asleep. So, great. So, great that you connected more with the walking. It does look very <laughs> odd. So the comments <laughs> it looks a little odd like zombies. It's like <laughs> the d- <laughs> what's the the one flew over the cuckoo's nest, everyone's walking around. <laughs> yeah, it's um it does look odd. You know, when in and it's um when we're actually just cultivating presence and we're not engaged, you know, our demeanor does look a little strange, we're walking slowly, and um, there was a, a this teacher, Achan Cha came to a retreat, uh, this Thai teacher, Achan Cha came to a retreat in the east coast, on a long three-month retreat, and he saw everybody walking slowly, he came come up to them and say, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> are you suffering? <laughs> well, let go! <laughs> so, yeah, there was a question back there, a hand somewhere? Yes. Oh, uh-huh. For the bell came quicker, yeah. Sometimes when we absorbed, again, also, time is very elastic. Sometimes we, we sit down to meditate, and it feels like two minutes and the bell's gone. And other times it feels like 15 hours. It's like, when is it <laughs> going to ring the bell? <laughs> it's very elastic. You know, it's not as linear as we, as we think it is, at least in, in experientially. Yes. Uh huh. So thinking about what's happening in your body. Yeah, yeah. So um, so the the comments about uh, the, with this emphasis on the body that her, th- her thinking mind still is busy, but more about internal stuff rather than external stuff, and you know, it's a. Learning any practice always feels a little odd in the beginning. It's like riding a bike, it feels uncomfortable and awkward, and, and, and we actually become more self conscious, which makes us feel less natural and more just more awkward. Um, so, like walking meditation, you probably walk fine all the time, and you take hikes and you're fine. And then suddenly you do walking mindfully, and it's like, uh, what do you mean? I'm not sure what to do with my knee. How does that move? And, <laughs> and it's because the mind is interfering with the natural process. So, and that's just, you know, over time, we, the, you know, we, li- we realize we, the mind doesn't need to get involved in that way. Um, but the second point you bring up, which is that the mind still keeps droning on, it's just now internal rather than external. Um, that is, that is what happens. I mean, it's not always what happens, but that's, it's just good to see that the mind doesn't. It, the mind has no preference in terms of what it will keep droning on about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It could be the laundry. It could be the chairs. It could be the, your body its sensations. It could be who knows what. You know, why is this ceiling so low? And I wonder when they're going to finish fundraising. And and you know, why did I dye my hair this color? And what's for breakfast? And you know, just it just it likes to entertain itself. It seems um, the generally the. You know we're creatures of habit, so we think a lot. When we come to a situation where we're invited to let go of that or to not preference it, there's something that creates a discomfort, because because what we what we what we're familiar with becomes part of our identity, and when we shift that, it it, it sort of shakes up the identity, which which for the ego is very uncomfortable. So um, so the thinking mind doesn't give up lightly, yeah. And that's why it's called practice. you know. Um, we won't give anything up until we see how much suffering it is. Until we get really, really weary of something, we don't let it go. So we have to get really weary of that relentless thinking mind to have any energy to disengage. Because mostly it, we think it's entertaining. We think it's what, what, how we solve our problems and how we get through life. And so, why would I want to give it up? But we, when we see that we don't have any control, and that it's just so sort of like running the show, then you know b- we begin to reflect. Well, maybe there's another way to be here. And maybe I'm missing out a lot because I'm so lost in my coconut. Like I go outside, or you, may, you know, maybe you've done this—you go for a walk, or you go to a concert, or you hang out with friends or something—and you know, with the hike, you can't even remember which hike you took because you, you get back to your car and like, did I go that? Did I see the lake? Was there a lake on that hike? You know, we're just so lost, you're thinking, worrying, and and so life goes by, you know, whether it's with our family or work, or and at some point we think, well, i got it, there's, there's another way to be here. And there is another way to be here, but it takes training, mental training, which is what meditation is the gym for the mind. So we don't go to the gym once and go, "Well, I'm not Charles Atlas yet. Pfft, that's a waste of time." <laughs> you know, That no, takes work.
1: Yes. but I, I think that I switch from thinking mind to observing mind. Observing mind catches myself in the act of thinking and shuts it down. Now, am I kidding myself or is that possible?
0: <laughs> are you kidding yourself about which piece? Uh,
1: about being able to shut down my, my thinking mind.
0: I mean, yeah, good luck. Of, um, <laughs> it's not the objective, no. No, and it's not actually that possible. Um, you know, we have, we can momentarily, you know, we can, you know, our mind's blabbing on and 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 that, and we can go, okay, just put it down, you know, and, and that works. We can do that, just like, okay, just let it go, and then for a few moments, you know, and, and just like in meditation, we go, okay, we're going to just be with this breath, this one half breath, right, and we can do that, and maybe we can do that for a few half breaths, but then very quickly our pumps another thought and it's very juicy and boom we're gone no matter how strong that intention is the nature of our habitual attention is we go with the thoughts so yes we have some power in the moment to sustain that is very hard and the point isn't to get rid of the thoughts the point is to be present with what is and so that's why I keep saying we're not making an enemy of thoughts We're just learning to see how entangled we are, and to disengage from them and come back into the physical, sensory present. Because that's the we have much more chance of sustaining presence when we when we stay embodied, present to our body, our senses, our breath, our, our hearing, seeing, smelling. Right. So just like in the walking, if we stay inhabiting our body, we're much more likely to sustain presence in the moment and then you know and then of course we wonder and we come back and that's the practice and then those gaps between thoughts actually do start to extend my experience is there are a lot of moments of quiet in my day where my mind's relatively quiet because I've you know done enough training I'm not there's still plenty of thoughts come up when I meditate because that's what the mind does it thinks but it's less you know less captivating Easier to let them go, quicker to return. That's actually a good indicator of practice. Is we get, rather than waking up five minutes down a thought train at work, we maybe wake up, you know, after like 20 seconds or five seconds. Or we see, oh, the, the, we see the image of my boss popping up. And go, I'm not going there. So I know if I have that argument one more time, it's five minutes. So we just go, no. So then there's a little more capacity to intercept and just go, well, what else is happening? Oh, yes, I'm breathing.
1: I think that's what I'm what I'm saying, or what I'm referring to as far as observing. Yes, mind. of it's course. It's that, that, that kind of can separate itself from the thoughts, which I can get very entangled in, uh, but it can, I can separate myself from those thoughts and realize they're happening. Yes. And then come back to yes. my breathing or
0: walking. Or yes, that is true. So... Mark Epstein has a book, it's an old book now, it's called Thoughts Without a Thinker. And in the mindfulness practice we get to see that we are not our thoughts, our thoughts are not us, and uh, thoughts arise in awareness. They can be known in awareness. We can think in the present moment in awareness without getting lost in the thoughts. The thoughts and the observer, the awareness, are not the same thing. In the beginning often for most people the thoughts and awareness are the same thing when you say be present to a flower often people think will we'll take that instruction as think about the flower which is different than being aware of the flower It's a good distinction thank you Okay and last question maybe Yeah. I'm going to say more about that this afternoon, so I'll give a more fuller teaching on that okay. after lunch. But uh, so the question is about uh, noticing that the thinking often has an emotional component to it, a corollary, and that when he uses. His capacity to analyze and figure it out allows the emotion to pass. Massa Menos. Yeah, it's a process. Um, So, uh, and that's one way of relating to that. It's not what, in the practice, mostly what we're doing, I mean, it's true, most of our thoughts are triggered by feel, either by stimuli, sensory stimuli, or by. Uh, internal mental stimuli or by emotions, and often our thoughts are just r- are ways of rehashing emotions, and when you find you're in obsessive, compulsive, repetitive thinking, the instruction is to actually ask and you know, inquire, is there an emotion or feeling present here that's driving the thoughts, which there often is. The guidance is not to analyze, but to simply be f- present to feel, allow the emotion to be as it is, rather than to analyze cuz that just creates more thought. There's a place for that, but not in the context of this specific meditation. I mean we can we can bring a curious attention, but we're not thinking it through we're, we're allowing the aware- the investigative awareness which is curious to be with the emotion without figuring it out. Cuz otherwise we don't actually feel and inhabit the emotion, which actually brings its own wisdom. But I'll say more later, and you can ask more if that doesn't jive. So we are um, at lunchtime, which is a very happy moment for some of you. (laughs) We're going to get some sensory entertainment. (laughs) Hopefully you brought your favorite food. So lunch is a great place to practice. So eating is a big part of our day, right? We think about it a lot. We fantasize, we plan, we shop, we cook, we prepare, we make dinner, and, you know, it's a great thing. And then we eat, and then we space out. You know, we taste the first bite or two, and then we read the paper, or we check our email, or we're on the phone, or we're talking to somebody, or we just space out. And you'll see that here, because we're going to have a silent lunch, and um, and we're going to make the next meditation be your lunch. And so... And this is a rare thing where we actually just be present to eating, whether it's a sandwich or a salad or whatever you brought, to, to, to make that the object of focus of, of your awareness. And so since we have probably about an hour for lunch, so there's no rush, you can slow it down, you can take a bite of your sandwich and put it down and just be mindful of eating, mindful of chewing, smelling, tasting, masticating, swallowing, Right, it's a really interesting process. We feel our animal nature, bones grinding, and you know, it's this weird <laughs> thing. As Jack says, we stuff dead plants and animals in this end; and it comes out the other end. You know, it's this. W- and we have these limbs to get us around to the next food I- event. Um, so, so be mindful. Notice what happens. Notice, no, particularly, notice what happens is you put something in your mouth. It tastes good, hopefully. Then, what do we do? We li- it's pleasant. So, what do we do when something's pleasant? We want more of it. So, we're ready, like stuffing, shoveling it in because we want more of the pleasant sensation which we're already having. So, when we're mindful, and there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole, there's two different, at least two different therapeutic modalities now around mindful eating uh, and working with addiction and, and all of that and um, overeating. Because if we actually mindful, it actually slows down our reading. We don't eat as much because we're actually enjoying what we already have, which is a pleasant sensation. But you you have to put down your thing, your food, to actually have experienced that and and notice the itch to want to shove it in, you know, crave and right. Um, So all kinds of things to notice around. Food eating comparing judging body image. I mean, it's just it's a very complex issue. So to bring a kind attention to that process, it's very charged for many many people. And so, and I haven't talked so much about this this morning either. But it's essential that as we cultivate mindfulness, we also cultivate kindness and compassion, because when we're more mindful, we see more of our stuff, we see our foibles. We see our crazy mind. We see our judgments. We see all the different ways that we, we are not really that kind to ourselves or smart or whatever. And so we need to be really tender with that awareness because it will reveal many things about ourselves that we're not very proud about. And it will bring us closer to that experience. So it's true with food as with anything else. So remember that. And enjoy your lunch, and then at the after lunch, you know, there's time you can I, do some more meditation. You can sit, you can do walking meditation, you can take a rest. It's, I like to take a little rest after lunch, so I have more energy for meditation in the afternoon. Uh, the more you eat, the more sleepy you'll be this afternoon. So, be moderate with your volume of food. You can always snack midway through the afternoon. Um, so I've got some. Um, Various announcements also before we close. One of them is um, well, there's some events coming up at Spirit Rock, which um, there's lots of flyers out there that uh, maybe I'll st- save this for the end of the day. Various courses and classes and daylongs and retreats that happening here, and I'll do that later. Uh, another thing I need to talk to you about is uh, what we call Dana here at Spirit Rock. Dana, you're wondering. <coughs> sometimes there's all these signs saying dhāna, wondering who this person is. It's not a person, it's a dhāna is a Pali word. Pali is an ancient Indian language um, that uh, dhāna means uh, generosity. And in the spirit of the Theravadan tradition, Theravadan Buddhist tradition, Theravada means the earliest lineage of uh, Buddhism. So Spirit Rock takes its teachings, from the lineage in Southeast Asia, Thailand, Burma, Sri Lanka primarily, which uh, is, the, is the predominance of Theravadan uh, Buddhism, which is basically how the Buddhism was taught and practiced at the time of the Buddha 2,500 years ago. One of the key principles in that practice, and as you go to these countries and study in the temple or a monastery, um is the teachings are offered freely on what's called dana and generosity the 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 communities and the culture so values these teachings that people support the monastery and the temples and the monks and nuns to practice <coughs> they're the holders of the lineage they're the holders of the the text and the knowledge and so that's their job is to teach and to practice and they are in turn supported by the lay people who receive those teachings. They're with, supported with food and medicine and, and lodging and whatnot because they're not allowed to work. They're not allowed to do uh, physical labor or handle money. And so the Buddha set up this system with, where the monks and nuns and the lay people were supposed to be in this reciprocal relationship of generosity, giving and receiving. And so the founders of insight meditation tradition, including Jack Cornfield, when we brought these teachings over here in the early 70s, they wanted to keep this principle because it's a, it's a beautiful system of valuing the teachings, knowing that they're priceless, not wanting to put a value on them, not wanting to sell them, and also wanting to keep the teachings as, l- as inexpensive as possible um, to teach on dana. So, um, but as Spirit Rock has grown to be, be a big organization, um, the costs you pay for coming here, the fee, the, the, the day-long fee, covers basically the running... Spirit Rock, the buildings, the lights, the staffing, uh, all the things you can imagine running a big organization like this. The teachers who teach, including myself, none of us are paid, we're not employees, we don't get any benefits, any health care, any pension. We do this out of our love of the practice, a love of meditation. It's a complete joy and pleasure for me to be here. If you weren't here, I wouldn't be teaching, so thank you for showing up and studying. Um, and you are invited to participate in this, one, to participate in the community of Spirit Rock. We welcome you as part of the community, and you may have your other religious, spiritual institutions, and that's fine, but we have a very open-door policy here, so we welcome you to come back and see this as one of your spiritual homes. Um, but you're also invited to participate in this culture of donor of generosity, and so um, at the, you'll see baskets out there that say "donor" or "generosity" or something on them, and you're invited to support. In this case, myself as a teacher, to uh, f- to support me continuing doing my teaching. So I'll be coming back here on Monday night to teach a Monday night class, and I'll be back you know, various times throughout the year. Um, and one of the I'm partly here because I've been supported in the past by people like you who've come on a course or a retreat or. Uh, day long or something, and their their contributions support me to keep going on, and so, so yours does today, and that. W- so it's it's a river, it's a flow of generosity, and um, just like we have a huge uh, fundraising campaign going on, this whole place was bought and built on generosity, and that the same principle applies that this place thrives on this generous generosity principle. So um, you may be asking, that's all well and good. Well, so what does this involve? And this involves money. Um, I have enough food, thank you. Um, They do feed me sometimes. Uh, And so you're invited to, you know, think about your relationship to money, relationship to how much you like these teachings and how much you'd like to support, in this case, this teacher or other teachers continuing teaching. Um, And each of you will feel, you know, Moved in different ways, and each of you has different means i like i like it's a it's a quasi socialist system in that those who have little can give little and those who have a lot can give more and and that's you know, and then next year you might be in different you might be in the opposite situation right you know that one um so there's no right amount there's no set fee there's there's just an invitation to 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 offer given and you know, the, the principle I use when i am on your side of the fence is um I give till I feel generous. And I think that's a really useful principle. Not till it hurts, because that's painful. Why create more suffering? <laughs> and not not so it feels throwaway, like, oh, I'm just giving someone a tip, because it isn't a tip. It's not fee for service. It's really about supporting these teachings to flourish. And each of you will feel moved in different ways to do that. Um, so if you're completely flummoxed by that whole thing, you can ask me, come up to me privately and say, you what? Know, it's how much? I don't know what to give. So you just listen and, and th- you know, what, is, what do you pay for a movie and what do you pay for therapy? And, you know, think about it. And, and it will change over time. So thank you in advance for your um, generosity and practice. And so now we'll take a lunch break and we'll come back at 2 o'clock. So if we'll have the bell rung at 5 to 5 of 2. You're welcome to eat in here. Be mindful of the floor. If not, eat outside.